All right. Well, I want you to turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 24. Countdown to Armageddon is our series. This is part three. Today we're talking about the coming tribulation period, the time of trouble that is going to be coming upon the whole earth. Jesus gives us a beautiful outline here in Matthew 24, 25. We're going to look particularly in this series in Matthew 24, doing some cross-referencing today. I hope you brought your Bible with you to where you can put a hand in Matthew 24 and then put a hand in Revelation chapter 6 because they run parallel. They run parallel, and I think one gives light to the other, as often the Word of God does. So the coming tribulation period, we will start looking at some of the upheavals and some of the calamities that are going to be coming upon the earth right after the rapture. Now, let me say this. Uh, that doesn't mean some of the things you're going to be reading can't take place before the rapture. Some of these can. As a matter of fact, it would be strange if the world was just perfect, which we know it's not. But if things are going along great and then the rapture takes place and from that moment everything is completely off. No, there will be things leading up to it. There will be things, it's kind of like setting the table, okay? We're setting the table now. We're seeing, we're getting ready for the tribulation. We're seeing the things in the world, the instabilities in governments, the instability in the world, the problems with all the different things going on. We're seeing all these things. God said this has to take place as you're getting ready for the tribulation period. This has to come into line. Then this thing, then this thing. And so we're seeing all of that taking place. You might say, well, then when's the rapture going to take place? Before the tribulation begins. Now, when is that? Well, we don't know, but the table's being set. We know we're close, right? And so Jesus, in, in, uh, we're in Matthew. Now, we're going to actually begin a little further down the page in Matthew 24, because Jesus is talking about this time that's coming, and he says in verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation. Now, watch this such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Jesus never exaggerated on things like this, okay? He told the truth. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. When we come to Matthew 24, it is vital to remember that Jesus is talking about Israel's future, Israel's future, both short-term from when Jesus was speaking it to long-term, which brings us to the days in which we live. When he speaks about his second coming, when he speaks about his second coming, he is speaking of the time after the seven-year tribulation period. We're not in that yet. Do you believe there are people on the planet who actually think we're, we're in the millennium right now? That's more twisted than the mind of a leftist, okay? I mean, that is bizarre how anybody could believe that. Anyways, I'm getting off track. I want to show you a chart that you're going to see more and more as we go through this series. We'll project it up here, and I want you to see a timeline. This will help you understand it. We see the future events here. You see the first coming of Christ. That's when Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave to prove it was done. And all who put their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone have everlasting life. What came after that, the death of Christ, 
was the church age. Now the church age is the period of time we're living in today. The Old Testament saints did not know anything about this. The apostles that Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 24 did not know anything about the church age, all right? You see the first coming of Christ, the death of Christ, What he's teaching them about is not the approximate 2,000 years of the church age. He's starting to pick up on his conversation right where it says tribulation because the church age ends with the rapture of the church, which we talked about last week. And then on earth, you notice the arrow goes up there at the rapture. That's us being taken out of the world. But then on earth begins a seven-year tribulation period. This seven-year period is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24. And when he talks about his coming back to earth, he's talking about the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. But that church age period, they didn't know anything about it when he's talking to them in Matthew chapter 24. The Bible says, as we saw last week, it's considered a mystery. It was a truth that was not revealed until the proper time. So keep that in mind as we come through this. Now, when we come to Matthew 24, remember that we are dealing with Israel The timeline from even before Christ, okay? Israel, Israel, Israel. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ. He did offer them the kingdom, but they rejected that. And of course, you reject the king, you reject the kingdom. So they didn't get the kingdom. That's been put on hold. The kingdom age is that thousand years after he comes back to earth called the millennium. When he talks about in Matthew 24 coming back, he's talking about that second coming all the way back to earth to set up his kingdom where he will in person and we will be with him. Those of us who are believers, we will rule and reign with him in that thousand year period of time. Now, major point for the events of the last days, namely the tribulation period, that seven years that you see there to take place The nation of Israel needs to be back in the land of Israel. The tribulation period could not take place. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It could not take place unless they're back in the land. Now, especially those of you who are younger, you might think, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. After the Jews rejected Jesus Christ, the church age began, 70 AD, which we'll talk about in just a moment, a little bit more, The Roman general Titus came in, okay, demolished Jerusalem. The Jews were scattered and they were scattered all over the earth and the Jews have been scattered all over the earth almost 2,000 years. They have never lost their identity as a people group, which is unprecedented in human history. And then God said for the last days to take place, now understand this, thousands of years have gone by. The Jews are all over the planet. And God says, okay, in the last days, I'm going to bring them back. And guess what? They're back. This is a miracle. In an article entitled, The Miracle of the Jewish People's Return to Israel, written January 1st, 2020, it states this, and I quote, that brings us all the way back to May 14th, 1948. On this day, the United Nations officially recognized the state of Israel with U.S. President Harry Truman determining the deciding vote. The Israeli government established the state of Israel, thus fulfilling the 2,500-year-old prophecy recorded in the Bible. It's amazing. 
The Bible's a book of prophecy. Great Britain ended its mandate in Palestine and removed its troops, leaving more than 650,000 Jews to govern themselves in their own land. Now listen to this. How do you know we're in the last days? Listen to this. Number one, we know we're in the last days because they're back. That right there. I continue. In 2006, for the first time in 1900 years, Israel became home to the largest Jewish community in the world, surpassing the Jewish population in the United States. From the 650,000 who returned when the Jewish state was founded in 1948, the population of Israel has swelled to approximately 5.4 million And it is expected to exceed 6 million in 2020. They're still coming back. I continue. The significance of Israel's reemergence in her ancient homeland is that this had to occur in order to set the stage for the final fulfillment of biblical prophecies, unquote. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today. And they are still, they are still coming back. Now, a lot of people, if you're not, don't know your Bible history, God promised a lot more land to Israel than they're occupying today. But if you look today, Israel, it looks like a sliver, a sliver when you compare it to the rest of the world. All these people living in this little volatile sliver of land in the Middle East. If you want to know what's going on in the world or how the world's going to go, you keep your eye on Israel. Israel is the apple of God's eye, not America. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Now, Matthew chapter 24. Let's go back. Let's begin in verse one. It says this, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now this was a prophecy of what was coming in 70 AD when Titus came in. The Roman general Titus would come in and destroy Jerusalem and this will be totally fulfilled during the tribulation period. Verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? Stop for a minute. Thy coming, which is that referring to the rapture? No, it's not referring to the rapture. They didn't know anything about the rapture. They didn't know anything about the church age. Thy coming was the second coming back to earth to establish the kingdom. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, the word world can also be translated as age. And I think that's the point here. They were thinking about Christ's second coming at the end of the tribulation period. Again, the church age in which we live in today was a mystery, and that would include the rapture, because the rapture is something exclusively for the church. The church age had not begun, although Jesus, of course, had mentioned the church a few times in passing, but never explained it. Now, the signs of the second coming in chapters 24 and 25 are different in description and many other ways than the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church has no signs. The second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation has many signs because we know exactly when it's taking place at the end of the tribulation. 
But we saw last week, didn't we, that the rapture is an imminent event, and therefore, even from the days of the apostles during the church age, they were told to be looking for Jesus to come take the church out. Now, if we are getting close to the tribulation period, we are even closer to the rapture. And of course, I showed you very clearly the first week of this series that we are getting very close to the tribulation period with all the signs that we're seeing. Now, verse four, and Jesus answered and said unto them. So they say, what'll be the sign of thy coming, thy second coming, and the end of the age or the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, I'm the anointed one, I'm the Messiah, and shall deceive many. So what do we see? The first thing we see in the passage is, number one, one of the signs of the coming will be false Christ. False Christ, verses four and five. Deceivers are going to be a major part of the last days not only during the tribulation, but also leading up to the tribulation. Here in Matthew chapter 24, the word deceive, and by the way, the first sign mentioned of these last days leading up to the tribulation is deception. Isn't that interesting? Deception, false teaching. The word deceive is used four times in this chapter alone. And you notice what they're gonna be saying. I am Christ. Now that's an interesting term because the word Christ means the anointed one, okay? One who is anointed. Now this could be as blatant as someone declaring he is the Messiah, such as Sun Young Moon, or some of these other false saviors that have come down the pike, and and I'm sure there's plenty of them in the world today. It could be as blatant as that. And by the way, the Antichrist will claim he is the Messiah, But it could also be referring to someone claiming they have special anointing of God. And by, uh, let me tell you, in the last 20, 30 years, we've seen plenty of that on quote-unquote Christian TV. How dare you question that person? They have the anointing. They're anointed. Well, that's getting very close to saying they're infallible or they're God or the Messiah. These things are all related. Now hold your place in Matthew 24. Go with me to Revelation chapter six. Revelation chapter six starts unfolding in the book of Revelation. And by the way, the entire book of Revelation, we've got a, the whole series is online, verse by verse, starting in chapter one, ending with the last verse in chapter 22. Every verse in between is there. You can go and you can watch these and you can take notes and learn. No, lots of people are using them all over, all over. But in Revelation 6, here's what you have. At this point in time, in Revelation, the church has been taken out of the world. The book of Revelation is transitioning now to deal with the seven-year period called the tribulation period. Chapter 6, verse 1, starts dealing with that seven-year tribulation period that we had up on the chart. And it says this, Well, we know Matthew 24, deception will be the first thing. In Revelation 6, 1, it says, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard, as it were, a great noise of, or the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold, a white horse, a white horse. Now who usually rides the white horse? The good guy, right? The good guy rides the white horse. Roy Rogers, Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger was my favorite. I just thought the mask was cool. And the horse, of course, silver. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch The Lone Ranger. (laughs) So we usually think the guy riding the white horse is the good guy. Yeah, but there's going to be deceivers in the last days. And I saw him behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This refers to the Antichrist. You notice he has a bow, but he doesn't have arrows. Why? Because he comes in, Daniel says he comes in peaceably. He seems like a good guy. He's a guy who's gonna come on the scene after the rapture, try to restore the world, try to get the world back on track and he's gonna come in peaceably. He'll probably have a false humility about him that people can't pick up because he's such a master deceiver and people are gonna give their support to him. You notice he doesn't come into the world and do what he does to bless everybody. No, he comes conquering. His agenda is to take over. This refers to the Antichrist. He comes peaceably. He will be accepted because he will promise peace and he is going to make or confirm a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel and the Middle East, according to Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. Now, one of the benefits, quote unquote, of this deal is that it's going to give Israel the right to erect their temple for temple worship on the temple mount once again. So we see this. Okay, back to, um, back to Matthew 24. We're going to be going back and forth here. The second thing we see, the second characteristic or thing that is going to be obvious that Jesus talks about, look for this. He says there's going to be wars, wars. Now, even today, there are wars going on in various places on the earth. As a matter of fact, folks, the earth is a place of constant war or wars someplace, We live in America and our wars are, we see them as cultural or political right now. And I know there's spiritual battle going on as well. But we are talking about all out wars to where there's mass killing going on. And these things are going on all over the world as I speak. And that's just going to get worse and worse during the tribulation period. Matthew 24, 6, it says, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, you still got your hand in Revelation 6? I want you to turn there and look at how this parallels. Revelation 6, 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth that they should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. So war is going to follow. The Antichrist is going to promise peace. He's going to set some things up. The next thing you know, there's going to be war. All right? Number three, the third characteristic, famines. Famines will come. They will be not just little famines here or there. These are going to be massive famines on the planet. Famines will come because of the wars, but also because of the direct judgments that God is going to pour out on the world during this time because God is pouring out his wrath on the planet. Years ago, I have a book in my library written by the late um, Tim LaHaye. And it's interesting because it's a book having to do with the tribulation period. And he said this. Now, 
listen to this, very interesting take on the tribulation, that the tribulation period, while it is the, the uh, God pouring out his wrath, it's also a time of mercy. It is a merciful thing that God is pouring out his wrath on the earth during the tribulation period. You might say, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. Because the tragedies and the catastrophes and the judgments that are going to be poured out on the earth is to wake man up and humble him to where he will listen to God, to where he can put his faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, and have eternal life. Because as bad as the tribulation period is, folks, it's nothing to be compared with hell itself. Nothing to be compared with hell itself. So in fact, the tribulation period is a merciful thing that God is doing, giving man one more chance. Because at the end of the tribulation period, there's a judgment that takes place. All those who are still lost will be cast into hell, the present hell called Hades, And those who are saved will be going into the uh, millennium, to the kingdom age. These things are coming. These things are coming. So verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation, 24-7, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences. You know what pestilences are? Severe diseases, sicknesses that are going to come upon the earth. And earthquakes, earthquakes in diverse or various places. Now, yes, we've seen an uptick in the last century of earthquakes on planet Earth. We know that. That is very true. They are nothing can be compared to the tribulation earthquakes that are coming. These things are coming. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. All of these things. Now, if you, you think about how bad these things are that we've already seen, and then he says this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning is just starting. The tragedies, the catastrophes are just starting. Is this not exactly what we see ramping up in our lifetimes? Yet it will get even worse during the tribulation. Back to Revelation 6. Hold your place in Matthew 24, verse 5. And it says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. What is this referring to? This is referring to famine. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The word penny here literally means a day's wage. It's not penny like we think of penny. This is a day's wage. Because of the destruction which will lead to shortages, there will be inflation of prices. There will be scarcity of food. We know some of the judgments God is going to pour out. He is going to devastate large areas of the planet to where the food is just completely wiped away. He's going to pollute the water of the planet to where people can't drink it and they're going to run thirsty. Unbelievable. It says, and and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. I think that could possibly, we don't know for sure, could possibly be referring to for medicinal purposes at that time because people are going to be hurting. Number four, characteristic, death and martyrdom. Death and martyrdom. Back to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus continues speaking and he says, then shall they deliver you, 
you disciples of mine, during that period of time, see, there will be believers, people who come to know Christ the Savior. These will not be leftovers from the church age, because if you're a believer, when the rapture takes place, you're going. These are people who get saved after the rapture. Maybe there'll be people that we've witnessed to, and they put it off, put it off, put it off, and when the rapture takes place, they say, they were telling me the truth, and they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I wonder if some of the deception is to get believers to fall for it to where they can be entrapped, persecuted, martyred because they will not follow the Antichrist. That could all be part of it. And by the way, you notice this, it says, then shall many be afflicted and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Do you know that'll go on even within families? Even within families, you might say, "Ah, come on, that'll never happen. Listen, folks, it's happening with the masks. There are family members turning in family members who won't wear a mask. These these things going on. I mean, this will be serious then. It's coming. When the church is taken out of the world at the rapture, the restraining force of the Holy Spirit through the church will also be taken away. Evil will overtake worldwide, although it won't be obvious at first because the Antichrist will arise trying to bring order back in the world. But the Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil in the world through the church, when the believers are taken out and the Holy Spirit is taken out in that sense. I believe early in the tribulation period, the one world currency that we talked about the first week is going to be instituted and the means of doing business will be what's called in Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast. You'll have to take a mark either in your forehead or in your hand and that will be the mark of the beast. You will not be able to buy or sell without it. Now, to get that, you are pledging allegiance to the Antichrist. And if you will not pledge allegiance and you refuse the mark, you are going to be not only rejected or excluded out of society, but you will be hunted as well. And if you're a believer, you're going to be martyred for your faith. One pastor asked a a, uh, well-known banker in the city where he lived, major city in the south, and it's a banker that he knew. He said, let me ask you, this is just recently, by the way, a few months ago. He said, let me ask you this, this idea of a one world currency to where we're cashless and all this, how long would it take to institute something like that? This is what the banker said. It could take place overnight. He said, no, really. He said, overnight, it's all in place. It could happen. Now think about that. Something is going to happen when the rapture takes place. Something is going to happen. The chaos is going to be here and the world will be upside down. I believe that. Some people don't think it's going to be that severe. I disagree. And there's going to be a one world currency that's going to come in. I'm not sure when exactly that will be, but it's going to get instituted. And if you don't take that mark of the beast, 
you won't be able to buy or sell. If you do take the mark of the beast, by the way, you have no chance of salvation from that point on. No chance, according to the book of Revelation. Those who resist the rule of the Antichrist will be hunted down and persecuted, even martyred. At the same time, there will be the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, who will have accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah soon after the rapture. I think that's when they get saved. They will be preaching around the world. Their converts will be persecuted, and many of them will be martyred. Why? They're not supportive of the Antichrist, and they're preaching the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold your place again. Go to Revelation chapter 6. So remember, what are we talking about? We're we're talking about death and we are talking about martyrdom. Revelation 6 verse 7, it says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast saying, Come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And just in case you wonder what that's about, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Death takes physical life. Hell and Hades takes spiritual life of those without Christ. Why do you say Hades? Hades is the present name of the hell that exists today. It is hell. There is fire there. People are suffering, okay? But it's not the final hell, the lake of fire. Verse nine. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? These are believers who had already been martyred for Christ. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season till their fellow servants and also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So a certain amount of tribulation saints say, how long, Lord, before vengeance is poured out? And the Lord says, there's a little while. There's more of your brethren, believers, who still have to be killed and martyred for their faith before I step in finally. Back to Matthew chapter 24. Now here's a verse that a lot of people trip up on because they, they take it out of context, right? You'll hear a lot of people who believe you can earn your way to heaven. They'll use this verse. And they'll say, no, no, you gotta be faithful to the Lord till the day you die. And a lot of them will use this verse. The problem is it's not what this verse is talking about. There's a context to Matthew 4. What is Matthew 4 referring to? The tribulation period and the second coming of Christ. It says in Matthew 24, verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Okay? This is not talking about being saved or delivered from hell. It is talking about being saved or delivered through the tribulation period to the end. 
These will be the tribulation saints, as we have just talked about here up to this point and in the book of Revelation. There are believers who are going, people who are going to accept Jesus Christ as Savior after the rapture takes place. And those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior are going to be locked out of society. They are going to be sharing the gospel with the lost world, which is very anti-Christian, worse than it is, much worse than it is today. And they are going to be hunted, they are going to be persecuted, they are going to be going without food, without water, without drink, without clothes, they're going to be locked up into jail, they're going to be going through a, a lot. And the point is that, they, that the authorities want to martyr them. Those who endure, make it through to the end of the tribulation, will be delivered from their troubles. They'll be delivered. See, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, at the second coming, there's going to be a judgment. The Bible talks about judgment of the nations, sheep and goats. Those who make it through the tribulation period who are believers, they are going to be ushered into the kingdom age. They're going to go right into the millennium. I think that's what this is referring to, those saints. So it's not talking about being saved from hell. It's being talked about being saved. Remember the word saved means delivered, delivered. They're going to be delivered. If they endure to the end of the tribulation, they'll be delivered from judgment, from all their persecution into the glorious kingdom. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. People look at this today. I've heard it on Christian TV before, and they'll say, well, you know what? Jesus can't, they'll hear, listen, listen, you'll hear the error in this. Jesus can't come back at the rapture until the gospel is preached all around the world and everyone hears it. Nope. He won't come back until the gospel is preached all over the world during the tribulation period. Listen, If he can't come back until the gospel has been preached to everybody in the world, then it's not an imminent event. The rapture's not imminent. You're telling me there's something that has to be done before Jesus can rapture us. Now, that's not biblical. There are many things that have to be done before Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation to set up his kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, the word gospel means good news. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Well, it was preached before by John the Baptist and and others. It's simply this. Jesus is the Messiah. Trust him because then you'll be part of the kingdom that he is bringing into the world. The gospel of the kingdom. It isn't just good news. Hey, a kingdom's coming, a kingdom's coming. Well, that's great, but it sure doesn't go far enough. How do I get into the kingdom? Well, I need to put my faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're trusting and if you trust in him, that means you're not trusting in yourself. You're trusting in him and him alone. I want to close over in John chapter three. Turn there with me. You see, the way of salvation has never changed. It is putting your faith, your trust in the Messiah. There's only one. The Lord Jesus Christ. He was promised in the Old Testament. Uh, people say, well, how did, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? A lot of people say, well, the way they got saved in the Old Testament is they did good works. They kept the law. No, no one ever kept the law. That's very clear. It's especially clear in the New Testament, in Galatians and in Romans. 
No one got saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law because you have to keep it perfectly. No one ever did. Therefore, no one could be saved by that. Here's how they got saved. They were promised as far back as Genesis 3 that somebody would come in the future and make a payment for their sin so that they could have eternal life. And that one, they didn't know him by name in the Old Testament, but he was Jesus, God who is our Savior. Time went on. The promise of Messiah was fulfilled. He came. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made the complete payment for our sin, came back from the dead. And if you trust in him as your Savior, he'll give you everlasting life. So they look forward to the when the Messiah would come. Here we are, some 2,000 years later, we look back at the Messiah who did come and make the payment for sin. How were they saved? By faith. How are we saved? By faith. What about their good works? Good works wouldn't save. That's why we needed a Messiah, because we couldn't save ourselves. How about us today? Good works won't save, because you can never be good enough to go to heaven. So that's why Jesus came, and he said so clearly, so beautifully, in John 3.16, look at it with me, for God so loved the world, loves the world, that he gave his only begotten son, referring to himself. Jesus would come, make the payment for sin, rise from the dead to prove it was done, And he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look up here. If this was you and me, this wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. Yet God loves us. God loves the world. He hates our sin, but he loves us. To go to heaven, friend, your sin has to be gone. Good works will not pay for sin. It's not of works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God says to get to heaven, you need a payment for sin. If you die with your sin, you'll be lost forever in hell. God doesn't want that for you and me. And so he himself took on flesh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, he came into the world and he went to the cross. He took all of our sin of our whole lifetime upon himself. He made the complete payment so we don't have to. He was buried, he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe or put your faith in him that he did that for you, He will give you everlasting life that moment as a free gift. No strings attached. He'll never lose you, never cast you out. That's how much he loves you. He loves you that much to where he did all the work. And all he's asking you to do is believe in him that he did it for you. Put your faith in him that he did it for you. And the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. If it's everlasting, it lasts forever. So let me ask you today. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? This is the time to do it because Jesus could come back to take the church out of the world at any moment. Not only do you receive everlasting life now, but you also get the privilege of escaping, being delivered out of the world before the tribulation period and all these judgments. And we've just scratched the surface, by the way. More about the future next week. But trust Christ if you've never done that. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry 
are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.